Have you ever been on a roll? You know, like a really good roll where a lot of good things are happening to you all at once? I would say that's the role that my guest today, Morgan uh, Jordy, is going through. What an awesome person. I'm so happy for her. She's just experiencing so much joy and goodness in her academic and personal life. You know, Morgan's in college right now and focusing on health and wellness. And I love talking to people who are younger and who are kind of at the launching pad of their life. It's a really beautiful thing to see and inspires hope and inspires uh, inspiration. I think you guys are going to really enjoy the conversation that I have with Morgan. Uh, she's very well-rounded. She is easy to talk to. And I think she will give you insight into what it's like to be 20-something again and shooting for your goals. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce to you Morgan Jordy. Awesome. Well, tell me how your day's going, first and foremost, here. It's great. So I just got back from Thanksgiving break for school, and I got my wisdom teeth out. Uh-oh. Got engaged. It's just a great week. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's back it up here. <laughs> Let's back that up, okay? So you got engaged, huh? I got engaged. I did. Wow. So how long have you been going out with this person? Oh, four and a half years, just about. It'll be five in April, so. Wow, so this was like a high school thing as well? Yeah, uh, yeah, we were high school sweethearts. Look at you, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Man, last time I talked to you, did you know that this was going to happen? Uh, I mean, we talked about, you know, getting engaged and everything, but I didn't know exactly when he was going to propose, but a couple weeks ago, I just kind of started having the feeling that it was going to happen over Thanksgiving break, but yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Do you have a wedding date? Not yet. He's in the military, so we're waiting for him to get his post before we can start planning. So I like how you tried to slip that in real easy. <laughs> oh yeah. I got engaged. I did all this, blah, blah, you know? <laughs> Well, fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's pretty awesome news. I think a lot of people will be pretty pumped for you. Super exciting. How are you? I am fantastic. I was very much looking forward to this uh, podcast. Uh, I just I found your uh, LinkedIn profile to be very impressive for someone so young. Seems like you're doing quite a bit. Oh, yeah. I try to keep myself very busy. <laughs> pretty sure that's very clear on your LinkedIn <laughs> with that. So I'd like to jump in a little bit about your interest in health and wellness and where that came from. Yeah, well, I came into college having no idea what I was going to major in. So I came in undecided. But before that, I ran track and cross country in high school. I ran the 100 hurdles and the shuttle hurdle, which is the love of my life. I love track so much. My hurdle coach awesome. was amazing. Um, so I, I was always really active. I played softball for a couple years, but I ended up focusing on running after that. But I think that's where it came from. I was always high energy when I was little. And then I came into school, had no idea what I was going to do. So I just declared an undecided major, took some random classes and I took a, um, sociology and psychology of coaching class mm -hmm. and I loved it. 
So I looked into more of that, talked to my advisor, and she said that exercise science or health promotion might be the way to go. So here I am. <laughs> there you are. So what did you love about that class? I mean, I took a class very similar to that when I was in college, and it definitely sparked my interest a bit more about, you know, really making this something I wanted to do. Yeah, psychology has always been really interesting for me. I took an intro to psych class here at school. I took a sociology class in high school. So both of those components both really interested me. I love sports. So combining them, it just made it really interesting. And it, I took it in really well and I understood it and everything just made sense. My professor definitely influenced that a lot too. He's great. I've had him Pretty much every year I've been at school, and that definitely makes a difference. But who who is this professor? You got to give him a shout out. Come on. His name's Doctor Mick Mac. Mick Mac. Mick Mac. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, he's he's a great professor. He definitely has a lot of experience. He's actually the sponsor for our sport and exercise site club that I'm the treasurer for on campus. So, yeah, he's really okay. awesome. Okay, I saw this on your LinkedIn profile. This exercise site club. Take take me down. The rabbit hole of that i've not heard of such a club before yeah, it's it's pretty new this is our second year so the two girls that are co-presidents started it last year they're both grad students here for sports psychology and um, before that the only athletic sport exercise related club was for F or not yeah for athletic trainers and that's just not really the realm I'm wanting to go down it's a little bit more medical so I didn't really have a club to go to and then I saw a sport and exercise psych and we just decided to delve into that the first year was just kind of establishing the club what we wanted to do and this year we're really focusing on connecting with people in the community and around the nation we've been doing Skype calls with different professors from different universities, just talking about research. The last one we had, we talked to a professor at Iowa State and he talked to us about grad school, which was really awesome. Mm -hmm. I have been considering grad school after I finished my bachelor's degree. So it's really nice to have a professional to talk to that's gone through the process. Yeah, and that sounds that sounds very interesting. So what are some of the topics you're discussing in the exercise uh, psych club. I'm, I'm interested in kind of the, the, the nitty gritty topics and research that you're discussing within that. So it changes every month. Last month we focused on the mental health component and the mental components of sport. We're going to talk about different scenarios and how to coach athletes through them. So we're taking it one step at a time with the club, but definitely trying to figure out how to help your athletes psychologically and how that can enhance their performance and just different people we can talk to that have different experiences with that. Is there any professors around the country that you guys are targeting to talk to? I know you talked to somebody from Iowa, but um, or that or someone who's researched that you really love and you want to explore more. I don't know if we have anyone pinpointed quite yet. Um, we actually have a meeting next week, so hopefully I can ask and bring that up so we can get more information on it. Right. So what other activities are you involved in uh, at your school that are related to what you're doing or what you'd like to do? So many things. So <laughs> here there's also a new club. It's the Student Public Health Association, which I'm a public health minor. So Ooh. I'm really into the preventative health and things like that. 
But with that, again, it's a new club. This is actually the first year that it's taking place. So we're, again, just trying to establish what we want our presence to be on campus. So we're just trying to host events and get our name out there. We held kind of a little, have you ever heard of Jump Fit? I don't think so. So it's a group fitness class and you have those little mini personal trampolines and you do cardio. Oh yeah, no, I've seen that. I've seen that before. Yep. So we hosted a little Jump Fit event and we were taking free will donations for whoever wanted to come basically take a free group fitness class and we donated the money to the Days for Girls Foundation. So we definitely try and connect with um, public health groups or organizations that um, help with different aspects of public health and we try and figure out ways to help them out. So it's a really What's great club. What is your interest in public health? Like, is there a specific area of public health that you were more uh, drawn towards? Definitely. So there's a health and wellness aspect of public health, which I'm definitely more interested in, mostly because it's more related to exercise science. So I just have more of that background. But just the obesity epidemic and every all of the chronic diseases that I learned about in all my classes is something that we need to look at, at least in my opinion, and we need to focus on that before it becomes even a larger issue than it already is. So that's definitely why I chose that as a minor so I can go into that preventative health aspect if I wanted to. You know, when I was uh, in college, which was like 22 years ago or so, uh, you know, there wasn't a, there was some talk about obesity and overweight, um, you know, the conversation with that, there was talk about it, but I would imagine at this time, someone like yourself going through that, that there's probably a lot more discussion in your classes about that and with your professors. Is that true? Yeah, for sure. Even in my exercise science classes, we, especially in my upper level classes, we read research articles all the time and they always talk about 66% of American adults are overweight or obese. And that's a large number. Right. And it's just, it's concerning for me, especially just all of the potential health risks that come along with that so it's definitely something that i want to dedicate my career towards and rest of my working life towards yeah no i think it's uh it's certainly a noble cause i mean as you look at the landscape of the research well, i have two things with this one what would your advice be to people because it's fresh to you right you're reading research that's very fresh you're learning how to read it I think that's one of the bis- big misconceptions is people in the general public, they really don't know how to read this research or where they're getting it from that's actually um, reputable. So how would you advise people on that? Yeah, well, Google Scholar is a great place. Um, I know mm-hmm. our university has a bunch of databases and everything, but I know Google Scholar is a little bit more accessible to people that might not be in a campus setting. So that's where I always start. And even we had, we dedicated a whole class and a half to how to search on Google Scholar or any other kind of database search engine. And it's definitely something that I did not think would be that complicated. You know, when you Mm -hmm. type in on Google, you're just like, what's the weather today? But you have to put things in quotes, ashes, and all this crazy stuff. But there's actually some helpful. Um, resources on Google that I found to show me how to search in databases. But once you get the search down, 
really just it's time consuming that's i think one thing that you can't avoid which is unfortunate because i know we're all scrapped for time but the biggest thing with reading research articles and we talked about this in a lot of my classes too is that read the first and last sentence of the intro the results and the conclusion most of the the data analysis is all statistics that unless you're a stats major you're probably not gonna understand (laughs) yes (laughs) which was me so definitely first and last sentences and then if you see something that's interesting you can take the time to read the rest of the paragraph or two but that's definitely something that i've utilized a lot when reading 12 24 page research papers you know you're not going to read every single word you just can't what do you think about well i'm sure you're you see this but you know people nowadays they you say well i've researched this information i've looked it up online i've used the internet um but they may not be aware that they're not actually looking at real research that's going on or they're looking at things where the research basically just fits the argument that the person's trying to have for that has now I remember learning this myself, but I think it'd be interesting from your point of view learning it now is what are some other things that people can do to know that they're reading really quality research? Is it that it's a meta-analysis that they're looking at of studies, or looking at the methodology, sample size, statistical significance? What other things could you would you say are important? Yeah, we definitely all my professors stress how useful meta-analyses are just because they bring in so many research articles and they compare they do all the comparing for you yes great but you always have to be aware of bias so it's really important to be able to recognize that bias language which hopefully you don't see in meta-analyses but sometimes it is it is what it is it's always going to be there a little bit but the other thing that they really stress is peer-reviewed reading peer-reviewed articles just because mm-hmm. it goes through another process and it has other professionals in that field read it before it does get published so that's definitely something they stress as well but if you can't find a meta-analysis because there aren't meta-analyses on every single topic it's definitely important to just look for different resources that might be saying similar things just so you can cross-reference that so are there in exercise science in these days i mean i have my own places i look but are there sites that you guys or your professors point you towards to get really good research studies or just read up about exercise science? Uh, I've definitely used ACSM a lot, so the American mm-hmm. College of Medicine. That's where I had to do, I got to choose a research topic for my exercise physiology class and I chose um, strength and endurance training differences between males and females. Mm-hmm. So I used ACSM a lot. They have a lot of articles. They're very reputable. Um, organization and everything, but they usually point us towards ACSM or the strength and conditioning, things like that, things that we usually talk about in class, but they always just tell us, you know, if you find something that you're not familiar with, like just cross-reference it with something you are familiar with, or just basically find evidence to back up your evidence. Right. You know, it's interesting. When I was in school, I think I had a very similar upbringing in that with ACSM, also the NSCA. I can remember doing, uh, as a kinesiology major, we were doing the black book of the ACSM. Um, And so 
we were in the basically the laboratory doing like Wingate testing and submaximal VO2 max and all that. And I remember that very fondly. But, you know, as I started working in my career, I found myself like I still look at it, but then I started looking at other sites and professionals that maybe were providing the information that felt a little more grounded to what I was doing professionally. And so actually one of the places I, sites I go to to look at research that feels very practical um, and being a trainer or working on the ground level is uh, Dr. Lynn Kravitz. I think he's at University of New Mexico. Um, but his site's really good because he publishes like crazy. He's very like consistent publisher of research. And I like that in his research he puts in there about, you know, here's the practical use for this information. So it's not, it's not, it's like hardcore research, but then there's a section of like, here's how you would use this with your clients, this information. Yeah. And I find that very, very helpful. Yes, definitely very helpful, especially, I mean, the jargon ACSM uses, you know, if you're not a kinesiology or an exercise science major, if you don't have that background, you're going to be Googling a lot of words. <laughs> Yes, you will. You'll definitely Google a lot of words. What do you think about the culture now? Like, maybe it's, sure, it's probably normal for you growing up where, like, you can just Google everything and find information. It's like when I was growing up, that was, we were just starting that. Literally, it was like, I had an email account for the first time when I went to college, and I didn't even know what it was. Like, I had it. And I was like, what is this? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely... It's, I don't, I don't know how I feel about it quite yet. Some of my professors embrace the fact that we're always or potentially always going to have the internet or a resource in front of us. So we don't need to know every single detail of everything. And then I have professors that are very old school. We do normal style lecture. We take notes and we take a test based on lecture. But I definitely think it's a good thing to have only if you know how to use it properly, because there's so much misinformation that isn't regulated or anything. You can put anything you want on the internet for the most part. So it's definitely important to know how to use that resource properly and know how to back up what the internet says, because it can really say anything, which is kind of scary. I think it's very scary. So how has that shaped your, uh, well, your educational background how has that shaped your your opinion of health and wellness as you've seen it in kind of pop culture if that makes any sense to you yeah so the internet in general even just not related to my education i think people go to the internet for fitness and wellness information or advice which is good and bad again because of the information but um personally like, as an educational standpoint I don't like I think you just you need to know some of this information like you shouldn't have to use it all of the time you know all right but it's definitely I think as time goes on we'll learn how to integrate it into health and fitness in a better way so we can not necessarily regulate but help people recognize good and bad information you definitely sound conflicted on it. I could sense it in your voice that you, you're you're kind of torn between yeah. it. You know, like you're a very young person. You know, you're college, and you know a lot of people your age, like they're all over the internet and they're getting information constantly. But then you're also getting this formal education about you know 
research and science related to health and fitness. And I would imagine, you know, I, I remember getting that education and then, but I did, I wasn't seeing what you guys are seeing today, what we're all seeing, you know? Yeah. So it kind of hit later. It's like, oh yeah, I go out there. Everybody is about the research, the science. Let's take the, the application of the research science, use it in health and fitness. And now I'm experiencing uh, a world of health and fitness where the rise of the enthusiast has happened. The fitness enthusiast. Oh yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Where basically you don't really have to have knowledge about it. You don't have to have any formal training. You could just basically tell people, here's what I did, do this, and they could become superstars. You know? Yeah, definitely. I have, I definitely follow a lot of um, fitness accounts on Instagram and everything just to get either workout ideas or keep myself motivated. And it's definitely, you see people out there, especially like a lot of bodybuilders, they're not exercise science majors, but they have their own little business. They have personal training plans for people. It's definitely interesting that people can do that without having a formal education, as long as they're not being detrimental to anyone else's health. But it's definitely it's definitely something to consider. When I mean, I yeah. You know what's interesting? I think I never I always tell people this. I don't think that I'm in the same profession as people doing that. Yeah. You know, I'm like, well, if somebody's just like, hey, I lost a bunch of weight or I got strong and and they put up their workouts, I'm like, well, we're not really in the same business. Um, because they're just basing it off of what they did. And yeah. I'm basing it off of actually like biomechanics, physics, you know, exercise physiology, the whole deal. So I'm like, well, I mean, I think it's just such a highly unregulated industry that we're in that it's the entry level is so low. And if you catch fire, people often really don't even care. Yeah. If you, if you have a lot of education, you know. Yeah, it's it's definitely crazy, which is why. Um, even though I'll have a formal degree in exercise science, that's why I'm going to continue my education and get various certifications like personal training and health coaching mm -hmm. and group fitness, which I definitely think is important. People should look at that if they're choosing to um, get a personal trainer or a health coach because those, those certifications definitely mean something because um, they're based on standards that these associations have recognized based on science, which is really important, but definitely recognizing the individuality of exercise and fitness. There's no one size fits all program. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize that because there are a lot of people that are like, oh, keto worked great for me. And they like push keto super hard, but keto might not work for someone else or any other diet plan or exercise plan. Oh, now you're entering dangerous territory. Oh, right? no. <laughs> You're like, no, I don't want to talk about this stuff. <laughs> well, well, you know, um, there's lots of um, information and clearly documentaries. I'm not sure if you're a big documentary watching person or anything, but, um, you know, the rise of kind of your streaming, uh, I wouldn't even say network streaming platforms like Netflix and Hulu's and all that stuff have given a lot of like filmmakers voices to put out, you know, nutritional documentaries and information about health and fitness. And I think most of it's really weird, honestly. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, you look at it, you're like, well, they're just fitting, they're putting in research to fit their agenda. Yes. That they're trying to push. You know, if it's keto, it's like everything keto is great. But if you understand biological diversity and, and research related to that, I mean, there's so much research. It's just people have to understand it. And that, you know, people respond differently to different stimuluses, you know? I mean, yeah. Yeah. So what's your thoughts on that? You're like, oh, no, what? Don't, don't put me on the spot. <laughs> we talk fad diets in general and like all of my classes, we just avoid because it's so controversial. Not usually, I mean, most of the exercise science people know that, you know, most fad diets are not super scientifically backed um, yet. But I have, I've seen a couple documentaries on Netflix. I think one was like the China study or something. I was bored on Netflix. I didn't have anything to do like a year ago. And I watched it and I looked into the research they did. And their research had like a super small sample size, like less than 100 people. And obviously they chose this research because it promoted, they, they were promoting a basically a vegan diet of like whole foods and everything. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the documentary was really well put together. It was really believable. But I was like, what's behind this? And I feel like people don't ask that question. They just see that it worked for some people. And they're like, oh, that'll work for me. But definitely comparing a research article that had a survey size of less than 100 people compared to 300,000 people is going to make a difference. Huge difference. I don't know if you saw probably the most recent one, and it's it's garnered a lot of attention and a lot of skepticism. But even though it was well done, is uh, Game Changers. Have you seen that? Haven't. It's You should watch it. I mean, you're in the business. Basically, you definitely got to watch it. It's basically this guy who is an uh, MMA fighter, and it's his journey on going plant-based completely. And... Throughout it, he, you know, he profiles other like plant-based fighters or athletes around the world who become plant-based. And basically the, the deal is that they got, they got much better in their performance once they went plant-based, like 100% or that. But, the, you know, I'm not saying I'm against that. I think there's, you know, eating plant-based is pretty awesome. I would say I eat about 60% plant-based. Um, mm-hmm. Not necessary by like, oh, just because like I'm going to do this 60%. It's just, just how does it make me feel, you know? Yeah. Um, but their whole thing, I think, which was preposterous, was like the research and it was a joke. It was a complete joke. And you'll see when you watch, there's some like really ridiculous stuff. Like the guy was doing the battle ropes and he goes, oh, the best I could do was 10 minutes. And then once he went plant-based, all of a sudden he could do it for an hour. And I was like... Okay, that's really shoddy empirical yeah. evidence. And one, I'm sure there's other factors related to that. You don't make like a 50 minute jump just because you ate differently. Yeah. On something, you know. For sure. If you're looking for high quality, zero THC CBD products, palmorganics.com is your place. Go to the show notes and any episode of Dr. D's social network and put in the code Dr. D for 10% off all products.
that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, like it is crazy. Most of the documentaries are now are like plant based. I don't know if there's any on keto or anything, but definitely plant based is being pushed a lot now, I think. What do you think that is? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, I, I tried not to go completely vegan. I was like, okay, I'm going to eat more, you know, fruits and vegetables. And I don't know if it's just because I'm in college and, you know, I only have so much money to spend on groceries, but it's definitely a lot harder than people probably think it is. Like, I didn't think it would be that hard, but once you go to the grocery store and your grocery bill is $20 higher than it usually is because you're buying more fruits and vegetables, it's definitely... It's definitely hard, but I think not necessarily going to the extreme of going completely vegan or plant-based, but just trying to make a conscious effort to see how your food makes you feel and then trying to maybe change that if you're not feeling so great and trying to eat healthier foods like fruits and vegetables and see how it affects you. So Yeah, I don't totally agree. I mean, that's always been my approach is Actually, I learned this such a long time ago, not in school, though, because the nutritional classes I learned when I was in college are pretty much, I hate to say this, very irrelevant to today. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, no. And, you know, that's such a field where it's like it's crazy, controversial, it changes all the time. But, you know, I learned from a good chef friend of mine many years ago. He's just like, how does it make you feel? How do you feel when you eat certain things? And then also just knowing, like, if you're going to go out and you're going to drink and you're going to have you know pizza at the end of the night and all this stuff you know how it's going to make you feel just accept it you yeah. know and just go with it and i think for me that was a real uh light bulb moment cuz i was like yeah i know i'm going out with my friends and i'm probably not going to feel the best <laughs> after this you know yeah. but i was okay with that i chose that versus being like i didn't realize eating a, ha- a huge hamburger at 12 o'clock at night would like make me feel terrible you know, yeah. next, you know? Yeah, definitely. I took, uh, we had an intuitive eating workshop here on campus. I think it was last year. How was that? And it was, it was great. It was definitely, again, like you said, like it, it's a game changer when you think about, you know, not letting food control, you know, how you feel or what you do. Like you hear a lot of people, if they go out and they have a pizza and a couple beers, the next day they'll be like, oh, I'm going to run it off you know, that kind of thing. But definitely learning to listen to your body has made a huge difference for me. And in high school, I was always, I mean, I'm still pretty lean, but in high school, I was pretty tiny and everyone tells you, oh, you're so skinny. Oh, you're so skinny. So I was super worried about not being skinny when I came to college. (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm going to gain the freshman 15. It's going to be so bad. I'm not doing sports. It's going to be crazy. And that definitely... Like you, you think about what you're going to eat. So that doesn't happen. And that definitely probably went a little bit in a negative direction my freshman year. But after I took that intuitive eating, it's like, listen to your body. You're not going to gain 50 pounds in a night. If you eat pizza, you're not going to lose 50 pounds in a night if you exercise all day. So it's definitely just listening to your body and not letting food control you just kind of accepting you know, oh, I'm going to eat pizza. I'm probably not going to feel the best tomorrow. And like you said, just accepting it and being okay with it. I told, I think you have to accept it. Like me, like I think as I've gotten older, you know, and I just go like, listen, you know, when I go to Las Vegas and visit with my buddies, we're going to tear it apart. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm not going to feel amazing when I 
get on that plane to come back home. But I knew that ahead of yeah. time. And it's kind of funny. We're like all like in our 40s. And actually, we got one guy who's like 26. He's like the random young guy. <laughs> and he loves hanging out with us. And But we're all like pretty funny about it. We're like, all right, we're going to have like three beers, but they're going to be like really strong beers so that we don't drink too much, you know? And yeah. then we're gonna, not going to eat pizza. Then we're going to have like, we're going to eat pho. You know, we're going to have like this. And we're going to have like some like Chinese food. Like it's hilarious. Like we're like trying to like balance it out. Then, but then it just goes downhill, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> it just goes downhill. You know, you got these plans. But I think we just, we just don't care. Yeah. Because we know like most of the time we're not doing that. And I think, you know, it's good to just indulge and have fun and enjoy yourself. And if that's not your thing, it's not your thing. Who cares either? You know, but uh, I think it's just such a hot button topic. But I wonder how that is on college campuses right now with that like how do you see that on your campus with eating with college students it's definitely it's really hard especially I lived on campus my first two years so I had a meal plan and you know there's like six or seven different stations so one always has pizza one always has french fries and a burger <laughs> cheese there's stir fry you know and then there's like the little vegan station and then there's a salad bar and then there's the home-cooked food and it's, it's definitely, especially if you live on campus and you, you don't get the opportunity to really grocery shop, it's hard to eat healthy because you're like, oh, I'm paying for this. So, you know, I might as well eat some French fries and drink some coffee. <laughs> That's my mentality my freshman year. I'm like, I'm paying for this. Like, I got my money's worth. It's not That's good. awesome. There's always like four different kinds of dessert for lunch and dinner, and there's always ice cream. So it's definitely... Especially in high school, we didn't have, we had to take one semester of health. So I took a health class my freshman year and I didn't have to take health class after that. And so we didn't talk about how to make good food choices in college or anything. So it's definitely, especially when you're a freshman, you're away from home, you're by yourself. It's super exciting. You're like, I'm going to eat pizza for dinner for like a month. <laughs> and it's definitely, it's really hard. <sighs> That's so, that's so true. Yeah. You're, you're speaking the truth. I mean, like when I was in college, the same way I was a collegiate athlete, but I, I did that. I was like, Oh, I'm going to eat so much pizza. It's going to be amazing. Like yeah. I was like salads, I'm not eating that. <laughs> like I'm going to hit this stir fry up hard. Like, yeah. I'm gonna like, Oh, they have like 8 million waffles here. I'm crushing these waffles right yeah. now, man. Like, he's, there were guys on my team who used to eat like 10 pieces of French toast after practice and stuff. I mean, it was actually unbelievable. And then they would have competitions. I think, you know, I think part of it, though, is just it's part of being young, too, sometimes. Yeah. You know, you got to give yourself permission to be an idiot sometimes. <laughs> right? For sure. For sure. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you got plenty of time to be stressed out about <laughs> what you're eating as <laughs> down the road, you know, but I think it's, I think it has to be hard. The college I went to, when I went back to visit not too long ago, they had adopted a super healthy, like, uh, like cafeteria hall. Like it was like very impressive what they did to it to like give students better choices. So I applaud them for that, but it ain't going to stop them from ordering pizza at like midnight yeah. <laughs> you know, in the dormitory. <laughs> Yeah, I wish. That's one thing I wished my campus did more was just try, just try and focus on having at least two healthy options every time. Like I had a grilled chicken breast like almost 
every day for dinner until I got tired of it. I'm like, okay, I need to eat something else because I just this is boring. But yeah. I didn't have the options that I wanted when I wanted to eat healthy. And so it's just, it's frustrating. Especially because, you know, you don't have a stove top in your dorm room. Like, you have a microwave and a mini fridge. So. Yeah. You're just asking for it, man. Yeah. <laughs> but then off campus, I mean, it's, especially when you have to pay for your own groceries. Um, and then you have to work a job on campus or when during your school time to pay for your groceries and all the other things that you have to pay for, um, which definitely makes it hard to eat healthy because, I mean, not all, not that all produce and everything healthy is super expensive, but some of it is compared to, you know, a 12 pack of ramen for less than $2. <laughs> hey, you know what? You can make some killer meals out of ramen. Seriously. You can. Like I, I still make ramen. No, no joke, man. I, and you, but I make it with like lots of vegetables. I make like my own homemade, like, um, like broth with it and stuff. And honestly, it's delicious. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> but I don't think that's how most college kids are making their ramen. No, no. <laughs> are you kidding me? There's like hot sauce all crazy in it and stuff. It's like, <laughs> it's disgusting, man. Yeah. You know, but it's an interesting time. I think I imagine I, you know, I've had quite a few people your age on my podcast and people go, you know, that age ago, why do you want me on my podcast? Like, I haven't really done anything. And I'm like, no, I think it's just good for people to recognize, like, when you get my age, you forget about what it's like to be your age, Morgan. Yeah. And they like the struggles that you go through and you know, the life you're, you're, you're basically on this launching pad of your life. Like you're just starting your life really. Yeah, that's and great. <laughs> like you, you're getting married, you know, you're graduating from college. Like you have all this optimism and hope. And like, I feel that still in my life, but there's a lot of people out there who do not feel that when they're my age or older. They, that light is very dim for them. So I think hearing your story is a good way to remember there's hope. You know, remember that spark you had? Like you can get that back. You know, you, you're, the world's still full of things for you to do. Don't give up on it, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's definitely, and sometimes, especially with all of the media we have now, it's definitely hard to find the positive things to help spark that if you're not feeling super hopeful or anything. It's definitely challenging at times. Is your, you know, I wanted, I wanted to get into this. I love talking about this with people your age. Like, what do you what do you make of kind of the, the stereotypes of your generation? I'm sure you're aware of them. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> especially, I mean, I still, I go on Facebook a lot, I just stay connected with family and you see people share things all the time. Cause you know, everything on Facebook is a uh, true, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. But definitely that, you know, a lot of people say, especially the older generation, talking about my generation is that we're lazy and that our parents, you know, do everything for us and they had to work hard and, you know, they walked uphill both ways to school and <laughs> that stuff. But it's definitely, I mean, it's a different time for sure. Um, you know, maybe some of the people that are saying that maybe only one parent worked while one parent stayed at home. Both of my parents had jobs. So we had a double income family and we had, maybe a little bit more resources than they did when they were kids. And my parents have been really supportive financially 
and you know emotionally and mentally and everything and um it's it's definitely just a different time and I think that they just haven't accepted that fully but I mean there are some people that do live up to the stereotype of my generation of (laughs) being lazy and having things handed to them but I feel like there's people like that in every generation so it's definitely it's definitely interesting the the stereotypes we hear about our generation but I try I try honestly just to ignore them because I'm just I'm gonna live my life I'm gonna do what I do you know it's not gonna matter you know if someone says that my parents handed me everything and that I they think I'm lazy like I know I'm a hard worker and that's all you know that really matters so yeah push it on the back burner don't really think about it too much it's interesting i think a lot of things in life are it's based off kind of the the curated aspect of your existence like who are you spending time around you know what's the presence of other people in your life like i've talked to many people in your generation i found them to be extremely responsible very hardworking, ambitious um super intelligent um so I'm like, I don't see this that much, but maybe it's just because of the people I'm associating myself with, you know, it's kind of like those things. Like if you are someone who was, let's say you're very um, far right in your political beliefs, you're going to surround yourself with people who are very far right. So that's just what you believe is what's happening is everything on that side. And for me, I, I really just focused on spending a lot of time talking to younger people who are extremely driven. And uh, so I'm not sure. I think sometimes people's perception of maybe like your millennials or Generation Z is because they're not seeing the best examples of that generation. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely, like you said, it's who you surround yourself with. I mean, obviously, um, I consider myself a hard worker, so I surround myself with like-minded people you know people in my major we all have kind of similar interests and everything but I definitely think too especially like with the older generation thinking you know we're lazy it's like the work we're doing is a little bit different than maybe the work that they were doing um you know like we're working more service jobs while they might have been doing more physical labor and I just don't think they realize that we still do a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's that's actually a really good point. I never thought about it that way, but I think that the the what work is considered work now is changing with like this gig economy and remote work. You know, your generation of people is, you know, you're growing up in a time where like it's feasible for you to work from home early in your life or to, to work remote jobs and never really having to go into an office if you don't want to. Whereas people like my parents' generation, especially, um, you know, you work for somebody, you really didn't work for anybody, you know, for yourself. Yeah. You went into an office, you know, it was like very standard type of thing. You stayed in a job, the same job most of your life. And I think people just, they see it differently. Older generations, like, why aren't you staying in that job? Like, and I always say when people would say that, I'm like, well, why did you stay in a job you hated for 30 years? You know, yeah. like, why would you do that to yourself so you could have a pension? I get that. But, you know, that doesn't exist anymore for people. Pensions don't exist yeah. for most people. So you have to have a different mindset of how you approach 
work. And I think for me, as I've, as I've grown, I try to like grow with the times and, you know, I was always someone that went to an office, you know, um, or a gym, whatever the space. And now I'm working completely remotely. And I accepted that that was an option and it's been better for me. But I think sometimes people don't see it that way if they're so stuck in what they did, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I saw someone posted on Twitter about, you know, they were a year away from graduating college and they found out that they just, you know, didn't want to pursue a career in whatever they were majoring in. But they were like, well, I'm just going to suck it up, you know, because this is what I majored in. And I was just like, one that made me go straight and think about mental health. Like if you don't enjoy your job for 50, 30, you know, 30 to 50 years of your working life, you know, you're not, that's not going to be great. It's actually really bad. And I think that a lot of people just took that bullet for a long time. And I mean, there's people still doing it, but I think especially older generation are like, yep, I'm going to work in this coal mine for 30 years. I'm going to affect my health pretty poor, badly, you know, but I'm going to, I'm going to have something at the end of the day when I retire and stuff. And I'm not saying all that was bad. I'm just saying it's like, it's good for each generation to understand each other. You know, like if you hate what you're doing, how is that hate spilling over into your personal life and all aspects of what you're doing? Just think about that. Because usually when somebody hates their job, it dramatically affects how they interact with other people in their life. You know? Oh yeah, for sure. So I've been fortunate. I've had mostly really good jobs most of my life. And I think it's, you know, when you have a bad job, you bring it home, you take it out on people. And that's not fair to people in your life. And so you owe it to yourself to try to do something that hopefully you can find something. Not everybody gets that option. You know, there are people suffering in really bad environments and they can't find great work. I totally understand that. But, you know, if you're, you're in college and you have options and things, you should not shoot low and just take it, you know, that bullet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely very fortunate to be in college and have that option. But I mean, I came in undecided and, you know, we took all the aptitude tests to see what you'd be good at. And the first thing that came up for mine was personal trainer. I'm like, well, they don't make that much money, you know, starting out. And she's like, well, then you're either going to make a lot of money and probably hate your job or <laughs> not make as much money as you want, but you'll probably actually enjoy your job. And I was like, all right, okay. So I don't want to hate my job. So here it is. And it's definitely income is definitely something that's important. You know, we need income to be able to, provide for ourselves and everything but definitely if you have the option to find something that you enjoy even though it might not have the salary or the paycheck that you want it's definitely worth at least exploring and then you know if you if money is a huge deal for you and you're happy with your job but you're not happy with your paycheck then yeah maybe you might need to take a job that makes a little bit more money that you don't enjoy too much but it's definitely at least worth the try to, you know, do something that you love if you have the option. I, I, I tell you what, after being in the business almost 20 years, I would much rather do something that I love than make more money, for yeah. sure. And personal training, it is a funny business. I mean, in my time, I've hired many trainers, uh, oversaw many clubs, openings, things of that nature. And trainers definitely burn out quite a bit. I mean, it's very rare to see pretty old trainers still training. Um, 
because it's a hustle and grind. But I also think it's that you have to know what you're doing. You know, a lot of trainers get into it because they love exercising and the sports, but they don't understand the business aspect of it. You could be very successful, make very good money as a personal trainer. I'm telling you that because it's happened for me over my life. It's just a lot of trainers are bad at marketing themselves and they're afraid to ask for money and they don't know how to re get referrals. The business part is just really bad. You know, the passion for being in fitness is not enough. You know, there, you have to understand there's, there's so much more to it than just being passionate about exercise. If you want to make it actually a career uh, for that. But I don't know if you've seen this, this, this big study that came out not too long ago. It was about like income versus like happiness, basically. Yeah. And essentially was like, I believe it was, if you make more than $120,000 a year, it doesn't, it, there's just no extra benefit in terms of your happiness making more than that, essentially. Like you can pretty much do most things that people who have a little bit more money can do. You can just go on vacations. You have, you can, you know, buy generally a lot of things you'd like to buy whole deal. And I've seen this up close because for over 10 years, I ran an extremely wealthy um, private residential fitness facility. I remember talking about people are making millions upon millions, 500 millionaires, stuff like that. And they're not always happy. <laughs> you know, they make a lot of money, a lot of stress, lots of yeah. stress. And, you know, and they always tell you my life was happier when I didn't have much, you know, and I think that's a good lesson for younger people to realize like, hey, it's it's OK if you're not making a tremendous amount of money. You know, you need to live. You need to have resources, but you also don't need to kill yourself to try to be so overly money driven that you forget about why you're doing the things you're doing. You know, yeah, that's definitely something that mindset it takes time to develop because obviously, you know, you're in college, you have loans to pay off. Of course. And you're like, oh, like I just money would make my life so much easier. <laughs> Definitely. I know, especially when I was younger, you know, you don't listen to your parents. You don't listen to adults when they tell you things half the time because you're like, oh, yeah, right. You know, just kind of brushed yeah. off. But as I've gotten older and you just you hear more personal experiences and they're like, yeah, I was happier when I didn't have all of this this money with this mm -hmm. super high stress job and it's definitely it's a mindset that you you have to kind of grow into I think so yeah I mean I could say this right now but you know you got to go and experience it for yourself you got to go through the trials of growing up you know like you're in your 20s like that's what an interesting time you know it's a, it's a great launching pad if you do it right for your 30s which is an amazing decade and um, I think that, you know, it, it's good to do things that you enjoy. And I think that's sometimes what the older generation, they go, why are they always shooting for things to do that they like to do, that they love, you know? It sounds weird when somebody says that, like, just good, good job, make some money, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I think I like that younger people are exploring what, what they love to do and seeing if they can make a, a living out of it, you know? I really like that because I think for a lot of older generation, they never had that choice, you know? And so I think that's why maybe they're, they were pushed into things that they didn't want to do and then they just settled for it. So I applaud people who go out there and try to make uh, a work, a work life out of something that they really want to do, you know? Yeah. It's definitely really admirable. Cause I mean, some of it is risky, you know, yeah. like, 
there's a commercial and you know the waitress she says she's in art school and the people comment oh like what are you going to do to make money you know like you're why why pay so much money to go to college and not enjoy your major yeah totally i it's an interesting time to be alive i really feel that i think how we work is changing the the reasons why we work is changing i think with you know ai automation different things it's it's just there's just so much swirling around yeah and uh in many ways your generation is a generation that is going to create a a, a massive change in how we live as human beings um it's pretty exciting but it's also scary too with the internet and how things are going and i think for you you got this brand new life you're going to be entering into being married and stuff it's amazing yeah it's crazy it's so crazy i'm like okay a year from now i'm going to be probably married i'm going to be looking or have a full-time job hopefully it's it's insane are you now now your generation i know there's been a huge kind of movement to um getting getting married uh later but also like having children later I know, but it seems like you're getting married earlier. So what is that? How do you see that with people your age? I mean, it's definitely personally, I know a lot of people that are already married that I graduated with. So they got mm -hmm. married earlier than I did. But I mean, I feel like society in general, especially in America, we press this timeline on people like, oh, you need to be married by your by the time you're 30 or whatever. You need to have kids before you turn 35 and all this stuff. And I definitely think that I do have friends that are like, oh my gosh, like what if I'm not married by the time I'm 30? I'm like, so what? Like if you're happy, <laughs> you don't need another person to make you happy. But if you have someone that like adds to your happiness, that's great. But it's definitely... I feel like there's still a really wide range. I think in the next like maybe decade or so, I have I feel like we're gonna see a swing and see people get married a little bit younger. Just mm. like that's what I'm experiencing. You know, like people I follow on Instagram, they're getting married, they're having kids, and they're like 20, 21 years old. I'm like, this is crazy. Like you have a kid and you're 21. But I mean, if it's it's your life, like do do what makes you happy. So I definitely think you know, the agenda that we push on people is a little crazy and you should just, just do you. I agree. Totally agree. You should just do you and whatever that means for you. And, um, I want to say, um, congratulations on uh, your engagement, Morgan. Uh, it's a really special thing. Enjoy it. Enjoy all the experiences that come with it. I, I know I did. I've been married for 15 years. It's been wonderful, honestly. Actually, my wife was just on my podcast, the one I released yesterday. So saw that. Um, I listened to it on my car ride home. <laughs> all right, you got you learned some lessons from uh, the old pros here, okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, enjoy it. I mean, I think I think it's going to be an incredible ride for you. But thank you for spending time with me. I know you're busy, like everybody is, and uh, for providing some insight on what's going on in your life. And um, I just wish you the best. Thank you so much for uh, being so on. Thank you for reaching out and everything. It's been great. Yeah. Um, like I said, I just I saw what you had on your LinkedIn. Someone so young, seeming so professional and so open. I want to talk to people like yourself. So 
thanks again for being on. I appreciate oh, thank it. Thank you so much for having me. All right. We'll be in touch, Morgan. All right. Sounds All right, great. Thank you. Bye. Bye.